0: Liverpool 3 0. Call quickly, yeah! Yeah! it, take it quickly. A Yes! Yeah! Unbelievable! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It wasn't the result we'd hoped for in Madrid, a 3 1 loss to Real for Liverpool in the Champions League. I'm joined by James and Max to talk about it, as well as look ahead to the Aston Villa game and talk about all the recent Liverpool news as well. So, guys, there's only one place to start, really. Uh, as I say, 3-1 defeat in the Champions League last night. Got the away goal, but it was all in all a pretty disappointing performance, wasn't it, James? Yeah,
1: it was It was really disappointing last night. I think if you look at the game as a whole, there was just, what, 10 minutes where we actually played half decent and we actually looked like a team. But then the other 80 minutes, it was just complete disaster, really, you know, easy passes that were getting intercepted just the way they'd be able to bypass us. It was just so on Liverpool, like especially in Europe, but yeah, it was after about 15, 20 minutes, I think the the concern
2: started to hit on there that this was going to be one of those games. It was just so infuriating from a oh god from so many standpoints, but I think the biggest thing is that rounder is midfield for all the talent in there, he's, it's not particularly mobile, let's be honest. It's not a team that's going to, you know, beat the press and, you know, dribble through you. It's a team that has got some of the best passers ever to play the game. But if you press them really high and make them work hard, you're going to cause them problems. But we didn't. I mean, you got Tony Cruz, who is probably the best passer of a ball in Europe. And we just let him do his thing. Like... He, he has shown that he can be vulnerable when pressed. And, and with no Thiago either or Henderson, we had no control of the ball. We have no one who was going to slow the game down and dictate it. And instead, what we did was we just would get the ball back, play two or three passes, lose it, and then Real Madrid would just get it. Tony Cruz, five seconds on his own, looks up, bang, 70-yard pass. Like, you just... It was just so... I don't want to use the word, but it was it was amateur hours. It was
0: pathetic, really, for eighty minutes. And I think that was a really good point in terms of the, the pressing wasn't there. But I wonder if Klopp's inclusion of Naby Keita was trying to kind of fuel that. We know that he's, um, you know, a ball carrier and and he's got the got the legs to get up and down the pitch. Swapping Thiago for him, I wonder if that was Klopp's way of trying to instigate that press. But just didn't really seem to materialise and we absolutely lost the game in midfield in my view and I think you know before the game I was kind of looking at both teams and thinking if we can kind of dominate that midfield we can really hurt them in the transitions and in the counterattacks with the pace of our front three and and the fullbacks so James what the question is on hindsight I guess when you see that Kaita was obviously hooked before half time that team selection, how big an impact did that have on the overall result?
1: Massive in hindsight, like you say. Um, I did think it was a bit weird with his inclusion because he's hardly featured really since coming back from injury and then you're throwing him in for such a big game. It, it was a really strange one. I think even Wijnaldum didn't look his usual self last night, so I can't put the, the, all of the blame on on Naby for, for his performance and him not starting the press. But neither was Wijnaldum. He was giving the ball away, so... But, we did look better when Thiago came on, but whatever the game plan was, that first 43 minutes just, <laughs> just did not work. And, you know, it's a big statement. There's only two, three minutes to go until halftime and he takes Naby off before halftime, which he didn't look happy going off. So I think that was just the feeling of the night through everyone within the squad.
2: I think you also had the issue that, I don't think it was even so much of the midfield press because what Tony Cruz did to avoid the midfield press is he just dropped deep with the ball and made... And, and basically bet that without Firmino there, the pressing just wasn't going to be to the same degree. I mean, I love Diogo Jota. I do. I think he's a brilliant player, but he's, he's not the same uh, presence off the ball as Bobby is. And I, th- I think that was demonstrated really well last night. Um, and, yeah, I think he, he basically just made the bet that our forwards were going to be tired and they weren't going to be... Playing the press and the bet came off. So, at that point, you need a midfielder who is going to take control of the ball, who's going to dictate play, who's going to try and change the tempo away from what Real Madrid are comfortable with. And Nabi simply isn't that player. He's just not. And also, he he wasn't covering Trent. I mean, Trent. It has to be said. Like, he, all right, he, he improved in the second half, but my god, he was awful last night. Um, but he had no protection. From Nabi Kata at all. Our number eights are supposed to provide the protection for our fullbacks. That is what our system has been built on pretty much since we switched to a four through three. Um, and Trem was basically isolated against Fairland Mendy and Vinicius Jr. And we know he's not that he we know he's not the best one-on-one defender. I know we're gonna get into this later in the podcast. So Navy is just leaving him on his own a lot of the time uh, in transitions particularly was just a disaster really.
0: And from a Liverpool perspective as well, when you look at the goals we conceded, they were really, really poor goals to concede. The first one you give Cruz too much, far too much time. The second one comes from a sloppy kind of attempted back pass from Trent. The third one, you know, no one's really tracking Vinicius. Phillips is kind of a bit too late to get tight to him. And then you'd expect Alisson to do better there as well. Um, has this kind of just brought into stark focus a lot more that winning the Champions League with a back four that involves no disrespect and Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak is just not going to happen, James?
1: Yeah, I think last night, the especially Phillips, I think Kabak played the better of the two, um, but I think Nat Phillips was like a deer in the headlights last night. Yeah. I just think he he was, even the headers that he, he was winning were going backwards or were going to the sides, it was just it was just a completely different that Phillips what we've seen in the Premier League and like you said then it's it just goes to show it, for the the elite European competition you need an elite back four or at least as very close as you're going to get to elite and at the moment it we know we haven't got that but I think as fans you, you try to make a better situation than what it what's actually going on and I think that's what we've tried to do with Kabak and Phillips but yeah we've just completely saw last night from not even the best front three Madrid have ever had, like how they just just ripped
2: us apart last night. To be honest, I think that whilst, I mean, like, yeah, I I agree with everything that's been said, but you look at the front three that played last night, Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Diogo Jota. I mean, like those, those are three supposedly the best forwards in the world, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane in particular. Diogo Jota has been very good for the um, for this season, but no one at the beginning of the season was even ranking him as Wolves' best attacker, let like alone you know okay. one of the best in the world. But like at the end of the day, in a game like this, if your if your defenders are Nat Phillips, Nozan Nkaba, who no one is expecting to do really well against you know one of the best strikers of, of the century in Karen Benzema, you want your forwards to bail you out. You want your forwards to be dangerous. You want your forwards to apply that pressure and make it hard for them to get the ball to him. But, I mean, Mo Salah scored, fair play to him. Diogo Jota, I mean, God, he tried. But Sadio Mane, I mean, I'm sorry, but he has been pretty atrocious for uh, quite a bit of the season. And and something is badly wrong there. I I think that we need to start looking at the lack of impact from um, particularly Sadio Mane to a lesser extent, Roberto Firmino. Uh, in this rough patch we've had, because so, so much of our team has been built around Mo Salah and Sadio Mane scoring the goals, and you've taken Sadio Mane out of that. Mo Salah is still, a, even yeah. if he's not playing his best, his, pro, his productivity is huge. Sadio Mane is, is gone.
0: It's gone. It's really, really worrying, and especially when you look at that team last night. Before the you know before a ball was kicked, we knew that Ramos was out probably for both legs, um, and we knew. Going into last night's switch, particularly that Rafa Varan, um, Real Madrid, other, you know, next best centre half, he'd been hit with COVID. So they were playing a back four, which involved centre halves of Militao, Adel, Militao, and, and Nacho. How an, kind of frustrating, I guess, is the word that Liverpool seems to not offer them any real problems other than that kind of 10 minute spell after half time, James?
1: Yeah, it was a. It was a strange one. I expected the front three to really have a go at them and, and to test them. Like you said, they've got Lucas Vasquez playing at right back as well, who is a right winger, so he's playing out of position. And like you said, it's it's a bit of a makeshift centre-half pair in between the two of them in Militao and, and Nacho. So It just was very strange how we just seemed to sit back and, and like you said, at times when there was two, three passes, our counter would break up. So They had nothing to do, really. Like you said, up until that 10 minutes of the second half, it was a really strange game plan from Klopp and and from the the backroom staff. It was just totally what I wasn't expecting.
2: I think the, the other thing that you have to talk about is the fact that it's not as if Jurgen Klopp's never played against this Madrid team before. I mean, like, bar Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale, you have a very similar team to the team that we yeah. lost to in Kiev. It's it's like the midfield is exactly the same. The defense is worse. Um, you know the attack is obviously minus Christian Morado. It's not going to be as potent. But but I mean like Tony Cruz. Everyone knows how good Tony Cruz and Luka Modric are on the ball. Everyone knows how good they are. But they also know that they're aging. So why we were leaving them with so much time on the ball? I mean Sadio Mane, like in particular he might not be scoring the goals anymore but the guy's still a phenomenal athlete and yet the press just wasn't there it it was non-existent
0: it was very very strange to see from Mane particularly and I'd like to talk about him a little bit more in in the next bit of the show but just before we move on obviously we got the away goal so all is not kind of lost that's obviously it was massive to score You, you didn't want to lose the game, you know, we, we were talking last week that we'd have taken a score draw. and In hindsight, a score draw now would have looked amazing given what we were actually presented with yesterday. Um, but we've came out of bigger holes than this before, and um, particularly, obviously, the Barcelona game from two years ago. We were 3-0 down, 1-4-0. A lot has been made of getting back to Anfield, getting back to Anfield, but this is not the same Anfield without fans as it is with fans. That's an obvious thing to say, but I just think this time... With a two-goal deficit, even the away goal might be a step too far. So I'm looking at you guys to inject a bit more positivity than that, but I feel like we're going to be on the same kind of thought processes, right?
1: Yeah, it's 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 hard. Like you said, even when we got beat 0-3, even when we got beat 3-0 at the new camp, it was always we're going back to our field, get the fans behind them. And the Dortmund game is another example. But we've just, we'll have lost a major part of what would, you know the 12th man on the pitch basically in that game. I mean, I do expect some fans to be outside of the stadium welcoming the buses in. Um, I, I would sort of expect that they were doing it for the Chelsea game with the tight lifting the title, there were still fans outside, so they might try to make a bit of an atmosphere for the coaches going in. But it's uh, 2 1, I would have been a lot happier. 3 1, it's uh, it's, it's a different story, really. And yeah. <laughs> you just got to hope with. You know Real Madrid have got Barcelona this weekend and you've just got to hope that maybe you know, they burn out from that game and they're a little bit tired for Wednesday,
2: but you're clutching at straws, really referencing the Barcelona draw, uh, sorry, the Barcelona comeback. Um despite the fact we lost 3-0, we were as good, if not better than them for most for quite a lot of the game. Yeah. Definitely. Whereas this game, like we didn't play anywhere near as well in this game as we did at the new Camp. That's it. I remember I was stunned after the new Camp result because I just could not get my head around how we had played that well and yet had like either been thwarted by Testegen or just missed the target entirely and then conceded three ridiculous goals. I mean, one was a 30-yard free kick, one was, albeit just a really good goal from Jordi Alba and Luis Suarez, and the other one was a shot that came back off the crossbar and then got tapped in by Lionel Messi. Like, there were, like two of them were free goals. Um, whereas this match it was—it was like watching under fifteens against a Premiership team. Like, it, it, the gap in quality was so vast. And my other issue is—is is that can I see Liverpool scoring two goals against Real Madrid? Yeah. If the attack plays well, then yeah, absolutely they can score two goals against Real Madrid. I have no doubts about that. What I do have doubts about is whether we are going to be able to keep because we can't let them score. If Real Madrid score, as far as I'm concerned, tie over. Um, and they will score. As far as I'm concerned, I cannot see a scenario in which they will keep a clean sheet at Anfield. I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, if they score one, you've got to, you know, either win 3-1, the reverse of what happened last night, and then go to extra time or, or, you know, score 4-1 to get through. So it looks difficult, but we'll see next week and we'll be here to talk you through either Liverpool's fantastic comeback or disappointing exit to the Champions League. Moving on to the Premier League. Um, We're back at Anfield for the first time in a little while against Aston Villa this Saturday. So we find ourselves going into this game kind of two points off West Ham who are fourth space at time of recording now is kind of really the time to put a run together isn't it James if we're going to attack these top four places because they're looking a little bit more attainable than they were perhaps a week or two ago yeah top four is a lot more
1: achievable than what we were a couple of weeks ago I think obviously a big weekend for us Tottenham dropping points Everton dropping points and Chelsea dropping points as well it was it was a good weekend for us. I mean, our fixtures are pretty kind. I think our toughest game now is going to be United away on paper. Um, West Ham have got to play the likes of Leicester, Chelsea and teams like that. So it, it's pretty much game on again for top four. But I think last night was a rude awakening for... You can't just bank on winning the Champions League to get into the top four. You're going to have to perform in the domestic league.
2: Yeah, I mean, as we discussed a while back, like putting your bet on... Yeah, oh, we'll just win the Champions League to get back into it. He's ambitious at best, bollocks at worst. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean the top four is achievable. The I mean the beauty is is that all our rivals basically are going to be playing each other in the last few weeks. Like. Um, a couple of the teams, Leicester and Chelsea in particular, have got an awful last couple of matches. Um, uh, they're they're basically playing all our rivals around. There's still a couple to play, Man City again, which at the moment is basically a guaranteed loss. Um, yeah, I mean the level the level of the Premier League this year outside of Manchester City has just been so low. I mean, for the last for the last two seasons, like it's basically just the reverse situation with us and Manchester City. Like last year, the level of the Premier League outside of us was pretty low, and now this season, it's Manchester City who are racing ahead, and everyone else is a bit shite. Um, So, yeah, um, I think it's very achievable. We've just got to not be crap, which, given the last few months, is a big
0: ask, really. (laughs) Yeah, I think James makes a good point fixture-wise as well about our fixtures they seem winnable on paper. You know, that United game is obviously the biggest one that stands out when you're looking at what's left. Um, But, you know, other than that, we've got very kind of achievable features. We've got the likes of Newcastle and Burnley along the way. Um, So you'd hope you could get some wins, but I guess it's all about consistency, isn't it, James? Especially as Max says there, I know West Ham play Leicester this weekend and Man United play Spurs this weekend. We just need to kind of get some wins on the board and see where it takes us
1: yeah we've just got to put the pressure on uh, that's all we can do now is is start to make west ham nervous when they go out on the football pitch and make chelsea nervous and and spurs i think the it's us four and i don't want to sound bitter towards everton but i don't see them really challenging for that fourth spot um so i'll just think it's between the four of us now and i just think you know we We've got a, a kick off the day before West Ham or the day before Chelsea. Go out and get the win and make them feel nervous for twenty four hours before they go and play on the Sunday. And it's just a game of cat and mouse, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, my god, I could bear if Everton got top four over Liverpool. My god, I, I don't think I'd be able to bear. I, I would just go off social media forever. Like, just, I'd never. I wouldn't look at it again because I just like some Everson fans are annoying enough as it is when they've got nothing to brag about and then go on social media when they actually do have something to brag about Then, Jesus run Reds run. Um, but no, um, on a serious note, I agree with James. I I don't think they've got the quality to, um, to make top four. I really don't. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a very tight race no matter what happens. Um, but all, all the teams that are hunting for that top four spot are hopelessly inconsistent. I mean, like, Chelsea looks like they were the second best team in the country for a little while there under Thomas Tuchel. And then uh, they decided to be Chelsea again and lost 5-2 to West Brom at, um, at Stamford Bridge. So, uh, yeah, I mean, any, anything could happen. I will personally still be quite surprised if Liverpool make the top four. Um, once again, I'm the voice of positivity and uh, happiness on this show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, it's it's achievable, but in my opinion, unlikely.
0: It's difficult as well, yeah. You'd expect West Ham to feel the pressure. Obviously, it's the position they're not used to being in. I think the last time they finished in the top four was back in the 80s. So it's been a long time. David Moyes has done, to be fair to him, quite good job since going, going back there. Um, Tottenham, you know, they look awfully inconsistent as well. They've got some absolute quality up top with the likes of Kane and Son, but then they just have this awful habit of shooting themselves in the foot like they did against Newcastle at the weekend. i probably put Chelsea as a favourite still, despite the setback on the weekend against West Brom, but you just never know. So as a neutral, for the neutrals watching and listening, um, I'm sure it'll be really, really exciting getting to the crunch end of the season. But for us, if we're, you know, within touching distance, with two or three fixtures left, it's going to be really, really nervy. Looking at this game then, um, the Villa match in isolation, I guess it's kind of difficult to kind of pin down an exact kind of team selection. But I think it's important that we do discuss Sadio Mane in a little bit more depth, given how poor he's been, like last night, and, you know, kind of since Christmas, really. Do we do we take him out of this one and go, you know, a, a front three of Firmino, Jota and Salah, especially when you think we missed Firmino's pressing attributes last night. Jota and Salah, you know, their scoring has still been very much there. Do we think Mane needs some time out of the team? Yeah, I expect him to be the one to be dropped this weekend. I think
1: just mainly because when Klopp has rested, as you look at the Fulham game and the Burnley game, he rested Salah and Firmino for those and left Mane on. So I think it's probably Mane's turn to be dropped and see uh, Firmino come back into the team. Um, but I expect some other changes in there, you know, maybe Trent to be rested or or maybe Wijnaldum to be rested. It's just, I think all eyes will be on Wednesday night as well as this weekend. Um, but I just think that, it won't. It won't be the full strength Liverpool team. I think it'll be a team that Klopp believes that can scrape a one 0 win at home, and that'll be enough to to sort of put the pressure on everyone else around us. But I expect that to, especially some performances on last night. I expect a few to be dropped.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's it's hard to say like who's going to be dropped. Like. The thing is that yeah, I can understand the logic of Trent being dropped, but do I have any faith in Nico Williams coming in and doing a job? No, sorry, I don't. Um, not being thrown into a Premier League game um uh after a pretty in a pretty depressed squad, I imagine, after a 3-1. I think I think Trent just needs to buck up and um keep going at this point, unfortunately. I think a new right uh new right back to compete with him is probably gonna be uh something we're probably gonna to have to look at in the summer. Um, yeah, I think Sadio has got to drop out of the team. Yeah, I think even, even more than a rest. I think I think he's got to drop out for a couple of weeks, have have a rest, buck his ideas up in terms of his um in terms of his shooting and his decision making because it just hasn't been there for months. And Jogo Jota is more than comfortable in that left-sided role. Mino can come in in his false nine role and Mo Salah can play on the right. It's the most natural swap and, yeah, I think Mane needs some time out of the spotlight because he is really struggling. For whatever reason it is, um, he is in the worst form I've seen him in in red by
0: quite some margin. I'd probably say it's the worst form he's been in since since coming to the Premier League, really, because, obviously, when he came to Southampton, he kind of hit the ground running really, really well. Had a couple of really good years there before coming to Liverpool, so... It's very, very, very odd. Um, Looking back at the last time we played Villa, um, it was obviously, I think it's back in October, it was that game where we lost very heavily, it's the 7-2 match at Villa Park. (laughs) Um, It was obviously a very dark day um, on that occasion. Do we think that's going to be in the player's mind at all? You know, um, maybe it's a bit old-fashioned to say, kind of settling scores from previous encounters. Um, Do we think, you know, some of them will be wanting to make their mark and, have a bit of revenge, almost.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it will definitely be in the minds. I know it's there's going to be some players missing from the game, but it's all you're always wary going into a game that where someone's had the upper hand over you at some point in the season. But to lose seven-two is, you know, it's a it's a bit harder to take. Um, <laughs> but I think Villa have really seemed to dropped off since Jack Grealish has been out injured. They just do not look the same side. Um, look like they're struggling for creative. I know there's Godfrey against Fulham, but they look, they look like they're struggling to create goals. Ross Barkley's form has dropped off since the beginning of the season when he joined on loan. So I think it will be a completely different game. I hope it will be a completely different game anyway to the 7-2. Um, but I think if, if Grealish doesn't start, I think we have a much better chance of winning.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. If Grealish isn't in there from the start, um, then yeah, I think Villa uh certainly beatable. Tyro Mings looks an absolute mess at the moment. Um, particularly that goal that he helped concede on the weekend, um uh was a horrific piece of defending and Mo Salah is actually in some uh he's in some half decent form so I imagine he'll be looking to isolate Mings in any way that he can um and we've just got a quote from a Liverpool perspective that Grealish while we hope he does have a quick recovery hopefully he doesn't recover that quickly so that he can come in and that that 7-2 game will absolutely be sticking in the minds of the players I was actually in um I was in Australia when um, when that game took place. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night. We'd, we'd had a bit of a big night. And I saw that Man United had lost 6-1 to Spurs that night. And I had a Man United friend that I was with at that point. And I thought, oh, yes, I'm going to take the piss out of him in the morning. And I woke up, slightly hungover, and I saw Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. And I, I thought I thought I was dreaming. I, I didn't believe that it was real. And we just passed each other in the corridor and we just said, should we just not talk about football today? It's probably best
0: if we just leave it. Yeah, definitely wise, I think. <laughs> Next I think it's kind of important to talk about Trent a little bit, give him a little bit of time because it's been a massive story in on social media, particularly this week, um, about Trent's role, not so much with Liverpool, obviously, but his role kind of in the England setup, especially looking ahead to this summer's European championships. Trent was obviously left out of England's squad against the fixtures uh most recently, against San Marino, Albania, and Poland. And there's kind of a lot of talk now that. That was kind of Southgate's way of saying you're not going to be going to the Euros. We've got a lot of right backs. We know that there's a lot of talent on that side of the pitch. But from a you know a Liverpool perspective, we see him play absolutely every single week. It seems absolute madness to me that Trent Alexander-Arnold could miss out on an international tournament for England. I 100% agree. I and I agree with what Jamie Carragher said. It's
1: absolutely ridiculous to think that Kieran Trippier will will be going to the Euros ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold when Kieran Trippier has missed weeks this season, obviously he got suspended for the for the betting allegation. So to have him instead of Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is just ridiculous. But does it surprise me with Gareth Southgate? No. He seems to have this thing about Jack Grealish where he, he doesn't seem to trust him or want to play him. He seems to have his favourites. And I think once he's got them, I think he, he finds it very hard to sort of budge away from them. Uh, but to have somebody who has been the best right-back in the world for the last two, three years, who's broke assist after an assist record in the Premier League as a right-back, to not
2: take them is, is just ridiculous. It's one thing to not start him, but it's another thing not to have him in the squad full start. I mean, look, Trent has not been the best right-back in the world. He hasn't even been the best right-back in England this season. But the two seasons before, he was unbelievable. It's not, it's not a coincidence that he has regressed since Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak became the mainstay defenders, or we had a chopping and changing of four or five different guys at centre back, two of whom were midfielders. Um, I mean, if, if Gareth trusts Carl Walker more at uh, right back against a bigger team because he's got a bit more defensive now, fine. I don't agree with it, but fine, that is okay. But are you seriously going to tell me that if we are, you know, we got 20 minutes to go, we're one or two nil down, uh, about to get knocked out of the World Cup, and you're not getting supply into the box, you're not going to want somebody who's broken the assist record from fullback to come on um, from the bench to replace Carl Walker. It's madness. It's madness. I can see the logic of Trent's not the best defender, he hasn't got Virgil Van Dyke next to him at the tournament, despite the fact Virgil Van Dyke plays on the left of centre back. Everyone seems to forget that. Um, but like to not even have him in the squad, it's it, it's nuts far as I'm concerned. To to not even have the option of bringing him off the bench to try and break a game open.
0: Yeah, I think it's I completely echo everything you guys have just said. And I think if like, it was me picking the squad, I can see the like I can kind of see the logic. Maybe not starting him in every game. K- taking Kieran Trippier, who looks like he'll be the guy who's going ahead of Trent, it's absolutely bonkers. I think mean, I really like Reese James. I think he's really, really good. I don't think he's as good as Trent going forward at all um, defensively. I don't even think there's a massive amount between them. I don't think Trent is – everyone has this thing about Trent, can't defend, he can't defend. To me, that is an absolute myth. I'm not saying he's – it's his, you know, his main strength. I'm not saying there's not others who are better – than him at it. But I think to say that kind of sweeping statement that Trent can't defend is an absolute myth. We've seen him come up against some of the best wingers in the world over the last two or three years. And he's been fine. Like the Champions League final 2018, he came up against Cristiano Ronaldo. He's played. He's had pocketed Leroy Sane when we played Manchester City, who was a name that was mentioned by um, Gary Neville. He's came up against Neymar and Mbappe in the Champions League. He's came up against these absolute fantastic attacking talent and he's held his own and more so I just really it's a real pet peeve of mine when people say Trent can't defend because he can you do not play in a Premier League winning team in a defensive position if you can't defend
1: yeah 100% I mean what would be the point in playing him if, if, if what would be the point of playing him at right-back if he couldn't defend? There's obviously, you know, we see it all on... We've seen it on social media since the performance last night. People just clip up the errors and just put them out there and then just say, you know, we can't defend, like you said. But it's like Real Ferdinand said, we have a thing in this country, especially, where we look at everyone's flaws before we realise, before we talk about how great of a player they actually are. Yeah. So we use the the, the example of Yaya Torre, He's lazy, doesn't run around, doesn't track back. But for the ball at his feet, he was an unbelievable footballer. And it's the same for Trent when the ball's at his feet. If I want one person in that Liverpool team to cross a ball in for a winner, it's it's Trent alexander I don't want anybody else stood over that ball. I just want him. Um, and I agree with what you said with Reese James. He's not as good going forward. There's not much between them defensively. But West Brom scored three goals from down his side on Saturday, and no one's mentioned that. But you know, it's it just seems to be everyone is seems to be this agenda that Trent should not go to the Euros for just some
2: mad, mad reason. I think the part of it is that if you, if you are what Trent is in this country, you, he's been the best. Well, he he and your Kimmich. your Kimmich is an unbelievable right back as well. Um, he and Kimmich have been the two best right backs in the world by quite some margin for the past two seasons before this like by a fair way. Yeah. Um, and in this country, we have an obsession with cutting people down at the ankles. If they get too high up, we've seen it with Mason Greenwood. We've seen it with David Beckham. We've seen it with Stephen Gerrard. We've seen it with Michael Owen. Like any, any English player that looks like they might be too big for their boots. Bang. Straight out from the angles. I think right now, I'll tell you a great example, is Jadon Sancho. Jadon Sancho, in the summer, people were begging Manchester United to make a £120 million move for him. And now I'm seeing people say that he shouldn't even be in the England squad ahead of Jesse Lingard. I mean, excuse my language, but what the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> I mean, it's just... I'm a, a G-rated version of that. What the hell is wrong with these people, if you want to do it? It's it's madness. I mean, Trent Trent is not the best defender I've ever seen a right back. He really isn't. He 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 can defend, but he's not. You know, he's not a Cesars Puliqueta who's brilliant at you know shutting people down one on one. But what Trent can do with a ball, compared to pretty much any right back in England or Europe, even bar a couple, is unbelievable. And to not have him on, to not even have him as an option would
0: be madness. And I think that defensive work is, is absolutely something he's working on. I think one of my kind of critiques of Trent would be that I don't think sometimes he commits himself to tracking him back as well as he could. I think sometimes he can't, doesn't get low enough and he doesn't kind of take people on. He kind of sits off them a bit. And, but that will all come. He's so young still. He's only, what is he, 22, 21, 22 years old? And to be able to do what he does in an attacking sense with a football at his feet, Surely, that has those kind of attacking merits have to outweigh these defensive lapses or not being quite as good defensively. Um, I do think he'd benefit from having someone like you know, like Virgil on the left kind of marshals Robertson a little bit. To, you know, they're always constant dialogue. I'm not sure Trent necessarily has that when he's got Gomez or Matic next to I'm not sure that's quite the same, and that will probably help if we brought in a more experienced. Centre back to kind of almost coaching through spells of games. If we're especially if we're under the cosh, but I just think surely Southgate can see that his attacking ability outweighs his defensive ability. James.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he's not seeing that, then there's no hope for us as a country going into an international tournament. Is that I think, but I do firmly believe that Southgate will go back to the back five this this international yeah. tournament. I think we played a back four against San Marino and. And Albania, do you know I mean? It's not the hardest international opponents, but I do think he'll go back to the 2018 World Cup and have Kyle Walker as a right-sided centre-back, Harry Maguire down the middle, and maybe John Stones to the left or just switch those three around, which would be perfect for Trent because that gives him the licence to go forward and to do what he can do and still have the defensive cover of Kyle Walker next to him. I think if you're just going to completely toss him aside and not even take him as an option, even Phil Walcott went to the World Cup as a 16-year-old. He took someone's spot, so surely Trent should be able to get a spot on the plane. It's, it's just, it's just ludicrous.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think any Liverpool fan is kidding themselves or saying that Trent has been the best right back in England this season. He has not. His form has dropped. His defending hasn't been great. But like, I mean, Garrett's claim that he. Was dropped on form is fine in isolation to an extent, but when you have Eric Dyer getting into that score, when you have Kieran Trippier who literally didn't play football for months, getting into that score, Jesse Lingard who has been crap for and barely played for multiple seasons has had a good three weeks at West Ham and walks back into the squad. Like, sorry, the consistency isn't there. I just wish that he'd have the balls to say, look, I have players that I trust. And as an England manager, you don't get to work with them all the time. So I like to pick players who I trust and I've worked with before. That is fine. I would completely understand that logic. And if that's why he hasn't picked them, I wouldn't agree with it, but at least it would make a lot of sense. Whereas this thing of, oh, I dropped him on form, but Eric dies somehow in great form, despite the fact he's been rubbish, is ridiculous. Have the guts to say what you actually think, because otherwise you're just riddling yourself
0: with inconsistency and opening yourself up to this sort of debate. Yeah, I completely agree. And what James says, I think, is so true. I would personally, if it was me, I would take Trent, James and Walker to the Euros. And I'd have Walker as that right-sided centre-half. And he's got the experience to do what I was talking about, to kind of coach Trent through moments of games if needed. You can, If you have that system, you can flip between Trent and James, depending on the fixture. And I just think, you know, going into this tournament, Southgate, like you say, he's done some really good stuff since he's became the England manager. He's, that World Cup in 2018 wasn't the prettiest football in the world, but they got to a semi-final of a tournament for the first time in 30 years, almost 30 years. And you can't really argue with that, I don't think, from an England standpoint but going forward we've only got we've got a lot of talent in attacking areas but I think we've only genuinely got genuinely got one or two absolute world-class players and I think Harry Kane and Trent are probably the two that you could say at this moment in time world-class footballers and to leave one of those at home I think will be a big big mistake Um, And it looks like, you know, Jack Grealish and Jadon Sancho might not make it as well. Is it just, is it simply down to Southgate not trusting these flair players as much when it comes to the dirty side of the game, do we think, James? Because Mason Mount is someone who I think is a very, very talented footballer, but I don't think he's as as good as Jack Grealish, but he seems to be one of Southgate's favourites in the same way that Trippier is, for instance, at the right back. See,
1: I think with Southgate, if you look at him throughout his managerial career and as a player, he was very much... A black and white type of player where these are the rules you stick by them and if you stick by them you're in the team week in week out don't drink don't eat this don't party and I think these players like Grealish and like a Sancho who tend to push the boundaries a little bit I, he just doesn't agree with it I think Jack Grealish is I, I honestly I really do love him as a player I think he's a one in a generation kind of player um And I think he just seems to have this thing. I don't even think it's he can't trust them. I think it's these are the rules to get into the England squad. And if you don't match these rules as a player and as a person, you've got no chance of getting in.
2: Mason Mount. The the debate with Mason Mount and Jack Grealish for me only works if you're putting Mason Mount in a front three, like Southgate did against Belgium that blew my mind that he did that but Mason Mount as a midfielder particularly in that 4-3-3 I think he's brilliant I I think if he's the most attacking of two number eights so let's say him and Jordan Henderson is eights ahead of Declan Rice even though it looks like Henderson and Rice could very well miss the Euros would be a really nice well-balanced midfield and then you have Jack Grealish coming off the left Harry Kane in the middle Raheem Sterling on the right that is a really, really nicely balanced front six. And if you have Henderson on the right, purely from a Liverpool fan's point of view, you have someone who understands Trent Alexander-Arnold's runs. You, um, you have that great relationship that they have. And if Trent does bomb forward, and as he's liable to do, we have to accept, be a bit lazy coming back. Henderson is the guy who will drop in, and he will cover that space if you're playing a back four. Um, and yeah, I, I think that Southgate does have this thing of he wants to play safe. Jesse Lingard works his ass off when he's playing. On, um, when he's playing, fair play to him. I mean, he he he's not the most talented player in that attack. In fact, I would say of the attackers that have been picked recently, I think he's the least talented. Um, but he works really hard, and Southgate loves an attacker that works really hard. Um, and but I will say that if if he goes to the Euros and Jack Grealish doesn't, I don't care that we beat Colombia, Panama, Tunisia and Sweden three years ago, I do not care, I will be Southgate out all the way if Jesse Lingard goes ahead of either Jadon Sancho or Jack Grealish to a tournament.
0: I think that brings an end to that section very very nicely and I think it echoes a a lot of fans in this country at the moment who seem to be frustrated with the way that Southgate's kind of managing certain players time will tell I guess if we go out and win the Euros with Jesse Lingard and Kieran Trippier and whoever else then I guess you can't argue but somehow I think that's probably a little bit unlikely Um, we'll end the show as we um, do every week with this week's big question of the week we put a question to the guys regarding the world of football not Liverpool related Um, even though the last section kind of wasn't completely Liverpool related as well Uh, and this week we're talking about is the Premier League overrated now, the reason I've decided to choose this question, guys, this week is because I think Manchester City, as we've already said, have run away with the Premier League pretty much like Liverpool did last year. Um, and if it wasn't for Liverpool team last year, that would have been Man City's fourth consecutive Premier League title if you, you know, think that Liverpool won last year. Since 2018, when City won the league with 100 points, they've been far and away probably the best kind of team in the league Um, and other than some competition from Liverpool, no one else has really came close. Liverpool in 2019 obviously lost the league by one point and then won the league last season but the likes of Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham etc have been nowhere near Man City or Liverpool over the last two years. It seems to be quite a popular thing in this country Mm -hmm. to kind of You know, you see Lukaku doing well in Italy or Lewandowski doing well in Germany and people dismiss it, oh, it's just Italy, it's just Germany. It's a farmer's league is the phrase that's often used to kind of disparage those divisions. But are we actually seeing an era of dominance from Man City and Liverpool, particularly Man City over the last four years, if they win this season as you expect them to? That suggests maybe the Premier League's a little bit overrated.
1: I don't think it's that the Premier League is overrated, slightly overrated. I think what it is is, the calibre of the managers at the top of the Premier League are a million miles from what they used to be. If you look at the top six, seven clubs in the league as you do, so Liverpool and Manchester City, there's no argument over Klopp and Pep Guardiola. But then Chelsea have had Frank Lampard sacked, Thomas Tuchel comes in. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at United is never going to take them to a Premier League title. Arteta at Arsenal is never going to take them close to a Premier League title. Mourinho, his tactics are so outdated that Tottenham are not going to win a title under him. I think that's what it's coming down to. I think the level of Premier League managers has, it's the biggest drop we've ever seen. You know, it used to be Fergie, you know, Arsene Wenger, Mourinho, Benitez, four top quality managers fighting it out at the top. But then you drop off is Frank Lampard and gonna kind of Solskjaer trying to fight for a title with no managerial experience. I think that's what it's come down to. I think it's the managers more than the players.
2: I think part of it, if, if we're looking at the fan reception to other leagues compared to the Premier League, I, I don't think it's so much of the Premier League is, well, it is over. I, I think it is somewhat overrated by Premier League fans, but I think the bigger issue is that not enough people watch football outside of the UK to really make that distinction. I mean, but I, I saw a very good tweet yesterday. I can't remember who it was from. Um, they basically said, if you judge um, the FA Cup in the same way as fans judge the Champions League, anytime there was a Cup upset from a League One or a League Two team, you'd be saying that League One is better than the Premier League. It's, it's a really, really silly way of looking at it. I mean, the Bundesliga, for example, when it came back before all the other European leagues. I spent so much time watching the Bundesliga and it really opened up my eyes to, to, to players that I haven't really watched before. Um, some of the guys I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed watching Philip Max, for example, when he was at Augsburg and uh, Milan Roschitza at um, Werder Bremen. I think that before you say that a league is overrated or underrated, you have to watch it. And the reality is, is that not many people have got the hours of the day to just watch football from all of these leagues. So saying that the Premier League is the best and it and always will be on little to no evidence of watching the other leagues is just silly. It's this sort of English football isolationism that has come into a lot of the analysis of the game as well, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think a big thing, particularly this season, obviously the main argument that's levelled at these big European leagues is that there's so much dominance from one team, which is leveled at Germany, Bayern Munich, Italy, Juventus, France, PSG. There's all mitigating factors as to why that is. Obviously the way that money is distributed isn't as even. Um, and then obviously in the French example, PSG have got an absolutely mega rich owner that no other teams in the, in the division can compete with at all. But if you look at it this season, at time of recording, Ligan. Lille atop top by six points to PSG in second place. In Spain, Atletico Madrid are top. They did have quite a large gap between Real Madrid and Barcelona. It's been reeled in a little bit, but they've not won a league for six or seven years. Um, in Italy, Juventus look like they might even drop out of the top four at the moment. They're, I think they're currently in fourth place, and Inter Milan look like they're going to win that league. Other than Germany, where Bayern look like they're going to wrap it up quite comfortably again, there is a lot of... like We could potentially have three or four winners of these European leagues who haven't won a league for a very long time. I don't think Lille, for example, have won a league for in ten, 10 years, Inter Milan particularly. It's been about a decade. Atletico, not quite as long. But even in Portugal, Sporting Lisbon are kind of breaking up the, the Porto-Benfica monopoly. Whereas in England, Man City, again, look like they're going to win it really easily, just like they did in 2018. And like I say... If it wasn't for Liverpool last season breaking that up, that would have been four leagues in a row. And you think, looking forward to next season, are anyone going to get close to Man City again? Even, you know, Man United nowhere near it this year. I wonder if that people don't necessarily think of those factors when when they're talking about whether the league's overrated or not.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Leal is probably the biggest surprise
0: um, where they
1: are in. Like you said, PSG have walked that league for since they've been bought out, really. Um, so that's the that's the biggest one. But look at Inter Milan. Conte won the Premier League with Chelsea, and he's a proven winner. He's won things at Juventus. So I, I I go back to my earlier point. I do think a lot of it is about management and having managers at the top of the club who do have the experience. Um, so like I said, Conte's won domestic titles in Italy and in England. So it's no surprise that they're doing well. Simeone's won a title with Atletico Madrid as well. And he runs that team to the ground. He, then players die for him on the pitch. And that's what I think it, it comes down to is just the level of management and how clubs are run from top to bottom. I mean, if you look at Manchester United's investment since Fergie left, I mean, some of their signings of how much they've paid for them, is, is ridiculous and I think the English clubs do get held to ransom over transfer fees more than the European clubs you know you see how many times you see it where a Real Madrid player will go to Bayern Munich for 20 million or you know Thiago going from Barcelona to Bayern Munich and Coutinho went on loan you don't really see that in the Premier League I think the investment that the clubs are making has just considerably dropped off for the amount of money they've been paying so I think it's the investment to the managers, which are two massive things when you're trying to win a title or trying to win cups for your club.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a huge thing. I mean, like if if you look at Juventus, for example, let's use them as a case study. Um, Before Ronaldo came in and um, uh, before um, some of their staff left, um, they were such a well-run club. They didn't overpay for players. They used the um, free transfer market really well. I mean, Milan decided that Andrea Pirlo was finished at the top level, and then he came to Juventus and and spearheaded their charge to total and utter dominance in Italy. By a minute, again, like, yes, they can outspend everyone in Germany. Everyone knows that. However they're an unbelievably well-run club. Like, there's no there's no issues with that. Like, they're not overpaying for play. I mean, Lucas Nantes is a big buy. He was a big buy, and he hasn't come off. But by and large, their transfer fees are not huge, and they are just very, very smart in how they pick up players and how they scout. Whereas in England, uh, most of the time, you just get teams just chucking huge amounts of money at absolute dross. I mean, like can you imagine the people at Bayern Munich sanctioning a 50 million pound transfer for Fred? Like, <laughs> like, no, not a chance would they do anything like that. The reality is, is that English football clubs, in my opinion, have got more money than cents in um, a lot of the time. Liverpool have bought that trend in the transfer market to quite a large extent for a while, but like, even Liverpool have made mistakes. I mean, Nav- Navi Keita, I mean, God love him, he's talented, but you can't, no one can say that Navi Keita has been a, a good buy for Liverpool. He hasn't, is the reality. He's very talented, but he can't stay fit. And he's been underwhelming too many times when he has taken to the pitch. Whereas some of the clubs abroad just run themselves incredibly well.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting point, And I'm sure it's a debate that can be had by fans all all over Europe (laughs) um, long into the night. But we'll leave it there for now. So, James and Max, thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll be back next week to discuss, hopefully, a win against Aston Villa and a fantastic comeback against Real Madrid. We'll keep you posted on that all across our social media and website. You can catch more Anfield Central content on anfieldcentral.co.uk on our Twitter at Anfield underscore central, and we're on ACAST on and Apple Pods for our podcasts. Um, until then, we'll see you next week.